0: Howdy, howdy, OCD family community, and welcome to another episode of the OCD Family Podcast. Today, we are diving into part four of our Unity in Diversity series with special guest Katie Munday. So make yourself at home and get comfy, because you, you're with family. I'm Nicole Morris, licensed marriage and family therapist and mental health correspondent, and let me be the first to say... Welcome to the family, the OCD family that is. I am here to create a community of support for family members, spouses, partners, parents, adult children, as there may be adult words, and chosen family of OCD sufferers and their community. I've had over 22 years of experience in the mental health field, but please note that this information does not qualify or substitute as a diagnostic evaluation, therapy, or treatment, and it is presented on an as-is basis. Please follow up with a qualified mental health provider in your area regarding concerns for yourself or loved ones. Thank you for joining us today. Now, let's get started. You know what's funny? Howdy, howdy is a greeting that makes me think of my dad. He's had a few dadisms over the years, and some have morphed and some have stayed the same. But an exuberant howdy, howdy has a special place in my heart. Another oldie, but a goodie is take off your coat and stay a while. It has those southern roots from his childhood. And it's kind of a lost art in this day and age to connect in this way. Stay a while, have these conversations face to face. And although I'm grateful for how technology has expounded the boundaries of our neighborhoods, when was the last time you took off your coat and you stayed a while? I mean, on the heels of COVID, there's been a lot of staying and for quite a while. And in our OCD family community, sometimes the idea of going anywhere is quite frankly terrifying. So, despite having the world at our fingertips, life can feel pretty lonely sometimes. But that's why I love being in this community with you. Because yes, we may still be in our corners of the globe, but we get to have some time this time to gather, to take off our coats, and stay a while. So welcome back to you, family, and welcome to any guests that are just finding our gatherings. There's always a seat at this table for you. So speaking of virtual global neighborhoods, I got to hang out with today's special guest from across the pond, Katie Monday. Katie is a fierce advocate who is a late diagnosed autistic person with OCD and ADHD. They train, research, and write on all things autistic experience with particular interest and expertise in gender divergence. And today, we're going to discuss the complexity of intersectionality, particularly when considering minority stress and difficulties not only between but within marginalized communities. Katie will share about their experience with multiple neurodivergent diagnoses as a trans non-binary person. Katie is also a parent and family, don't we know, don't we know how busy they are and how exhausting that can be. And so Katie honors us with their voice, and I'm ever so grateful for it. Additionally, I want to give the fam a heads up regarding a trigger warning for today's episode. We will make reference to suicidal ideation and microaggressions that can result in hate crimes or death. So please take care of yourselves and use discretion as needed as we engage in this important conversation. Because Katie's ability to put a voice to their experience is nothing less than a gift to our family. So join us, won't you? Because if I've learned anything thus far regarding this unifying series, it's that we need, need, to be able to have these conversations. Therein lies the power, the support, and the shifts in posture, growth and understanding, and a catalyst for the change needed to help all people all over the world of all races, religions, neurotypes, gender, sexual orientations, abilities, and mental or medical health struggles for us to, to know that we really are better together. We are worth fighting for. We are worth learning about and understanding and celebrating and grieving and loving. We, we, family, are better together. So let's do this. Well, welcome back to the OCD Family Podcast. And I am just so excited to introduce our guest today, Katie munday They are a late diagnosed autistic person with OCD and ADHD. You can definitely catch them over on Twitter. Are you on other social media as well, Katie?
1: Facebook and I'm trying Instagram, but I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm there.
0: I love that because frankly, I don't know what I'm doing on Instagram either, but it's like one of the popular things. So it's, it's, I don't know, but TikTok is probably my least knowledgeable one. But certainly, they are over on Twitter, and they have a particular interest and expertise in gender divergence. So, thank you so much for being with us today, Katie.
1: You're most welcome.
0: All right, nice to be here. Yes, and I, I love that we're having an opportunity to speak not only on intersection, but I think today, just talking through and have the gift of hearing your story we're going to be looking at intersection from not just you know sometimes people think one thing two things that are intersecting but there's so many things that make you you and so we're looking at well that's beautiful there's also a lot of challenges that you can face in society in mental health systems in disability systems certainly It's a challenge, and that's one of the things that we really want to address today. So first things first, if you wouldn't mind, it sounds like you didn't get your autistic diagnosis until later in life, but I was just curious in terms of both with OCD and that you have a neurodivergent neurotype, can you tell us a little bit about your journey in discovering that you were dealing with OCD and neurodivergent diagnosis?
1: Yeah, I suppose I started working with autistic and otherwise neurodivergent and disabled young people when I was about 23, 24. Mm -hmm. And as I was working with these young people, I just thought, hmm, I do that. Mm -hmm. Mm." (laughs) I completely and utterly understand what you mean when you say something that is completely and utterly outrageous Mm -hmm. or what other people might see as quite peculiar. And the more I got to know the young people I was working with, I just thought, yeah, there's definitely something here. This is this is interesting, mm-hmm. um, and I've always felt an outsider looking in, as if as if I don't have like there's there's some massive bit of information that is completely and utterly bypassed me for some reason, mm-hmm. or some element of language, or something that just doesn't quite click with me. Mm-hmm. So I I kind of thought about this for a couple of years, and then I I thought I'd go into a formal diagnosis, which where I live in the UK. It took me two, two and a half years.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I got my diagnosis on the NHS. So the waiting times for that varies across the UK, but it's never a short waiting period. And they are not brilliant at telling anxious, potentially autistic people what's going on, what's expected, what the wait time is going to be, anything really like that. So that was quite difficult. Mm -hmm. So then I got my diagnosis when I was 30. And what I didn't realize at the time is that they can also diagnose you with other things whilst you're in there. So I came out thinking I I will probably get an autism diagnosis and Mm -hmm. actually came out with being autistic and OCD. So like two for one, I don't know.
0: Yeah, two for one.
1: Yeah, two (laughs) for one. Two for one, why not? Uh, Yeah, yeah, and then the support system in the UK it's probably very similar to the US is absolutely shocking. So it's taken me 20, you know, however many years to realize that I'm autistic, put a word to it, get a diagnosis and then nothing, no support, nothing afterwards to get involved with. And I talk about this all the time with a friend of mine who's also autistic and Mm -hmm. I don't know if he's got a OCD, but we talk about mental health quite a lot because he's, he's not schizophrenic, but he has psychosis Mm -hmm. and various other things going on with him. Mm -hmm. And we talk about the fact that there's an autistic community. Like, if, if if you want it, there are autistic communities that you can get involved with. Some of them are face to face through charities and various other things. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot online if you, if you want to get involved with that. Obviously, that's still not for everyone, right? But the the choice is at least there for quite a lot of people. Whereas mental health. Although also neurodivergence, the community doesn't exist, mm-hmm. or the spaces that I found myself in have been more triggering to me mm-hmm. than if I weren't in those spaces, anyways. So I've been part of like because I have generalized anxiety as well mm-hmm. and depression, mm-hmm. and those spaces exist, but they're they're called support groups. But I find for me that they make a lot of situations worse than better interesting because it's it's other people talking about what traumatizes Mm. them right and like what you were saying before we actually started recording about the fact that a lot of people with mental health issues especially if it's like complex ptsd Mm -hmm. there's usually something or a long list of things that have happened to them or around them that that gives us our mental health differences yeah and because of that it spaces like that become quite triggering to me yeah so i could start the day off quite well and then read something online which you can do outside of mental health spaces as well like sure. the internet can be like garbage the
0: internet, but, um, the, the garbage. The internet <laughs> is gonna internet it's gonna be uh, ooh, consistently ooh. trolly and triggering and ooh. all the things yeah
1: ooh. but i find that although being autistic is not is very much not sunshine and rainbows and unicorn farts. It's, (laughs) there's a community online that is neurodiversity affirming. Yes. It's like autistic isn't bad. Autistic isn't good. Most of us have support needs that varies from person to person day to day. We're here. That's it. Right. And I find that I don't, I have not come across that within OCD circles if they exist. I don't know. Yeah. I think that's why when our mutual friend put me in contact with you, I was quite interested. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, there's like, I don't know, light at the end of the tunnel or something.
0: Oh, Where well, we can talk
1: that. about the fact that OCD is really hard to live with, but also people first and foremost. and yes. We need to be able to support each other in a way that isn't potentially triggering to each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard because, like you said, we all are coming from different histories, from different vantage points. And so sometimes we can be very unintentionally triggering. There mm. are some assholes out there that are intentionally triggering, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> to
0: be fair. But a lot of people, I think, aren't intending that. And, and so it does become very difficult to know when you're going to run into that or not. Also, mm. when we're looking at the overlap of trauma and OCD, Both can be very triggering, maybe around even the same content or trigger, for lack of a better word, and for different reasons. And the trauma is going to take it here. OCD is going to take it there. And being able to piece that out within ourselves, let alone across the community, can be really difficult. And so certainly I hear what you're saying where these spaces can be really triggering, and we can say we're all in this together, but really, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's like, yeah, we're all in this together, but I'm out here and I don't, why, I'm, I just feel like I'm not connected to that. And so mm. I think one of the big important pieces, and hopefully we can kind of brainstorm about that today, amongst other things, is like, how can we do better if we say we're better together, then how can we be a we Right. Mm. So that Mm -hmm. so that no one's left out and it is it is really, really hard. One of the things I've been talking a lot about in this series, but also on the podcast at large, is that we all have OCD in common, whether it's because we're supporting our loved one, we have lived experience, we're researchers or we're doing the work as a as a professional to try and help people find freedom through this difficult diagnosis but it doesn't feel like we're all together at times and you're really echoing that like i am i'm i'm just like floating out here on my own like you can find it and you have to and that's to say that you're in a place where you have the energy to muster mm-hmm. to find it because when we're talking about whether being autistic or adhd or depressed or anxious All of those can affect how we engage or initiate tasks or how we avoid or get dysregulated by it. And so it's not easy, even if it's available, to always be like, okay, so I'm going to go fling myself out there, especially coming off the heels of the pandemic, and try to connect virtually Mm. in a way. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. And so I really appreciate you putting words to that experience. I think that is really, really important. One of the things we're going to be talking more about, like, we're going to zoom in and do an episode on autism with one of my great colleagues who is autistic. I am a mom of autistic children. We are very pro neurodiversity. And so I love it because I'm surrounded by amazing people that have. Brains that think in different ways than mine. And together, we can create this tapestry of just beautiful meaning. And one of the things we're going to be talking about in a couple of weeks here with my colleague is how really a lot of autistic people are feeling that anxiety because of the demands or the pressures to conform, to fit, to mask, to play by the neurotypical rules that society has set up. And so already, OCD or not, just being who you are in your own body can feel like a struggle. And so, that I mean, yes, an anxious autistic person, I would imagine it would be very, very hard if you're having to feel like you need to justify why you're thinking what you're thinking if you even have the energy to not be like enough, I don't need to say shit to you people, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's what I'm saying. It's what I'm saying. And I don't have to prove that. Like, but I don't know about you, Katie. Like I don't know if you've ever gotten an argument with a partner or something where you're like, Hey, I am just, I am trying to talk and like you don't want to have to be in a position where you're defending yourself a thousand percent of the time. But I think whether we're dealing with mental health, or some of these other intersections, we are dealing with that need to defend why my thoughts and why my feelings matter. And that's really hard because we're not even talking about mental illness right now. We're talking about humanity having the right to feel and think about things. Doesn't mean we're always right about things. Doesn't mean we're always wrong about things. It means we have thoughts. That's okay. We have feelings. That's okay. And We don't need to have to justify it to get in the secret password here to be able to get some support. And so I think that is one of the things that I'm just like, yes, how can we do this different? How can we make some improvements here? So I really appreciate that. Also, in your amazing advocacy, you talk about being trans, and I would imagine the evolution of understanding who you are in a gender way even like just trying to fit into a world trying to fit into yourself like can I ask you what that journey has been like you're like how much time we (laughs) got
1: oh god yeah like I don't have enough time for that it's funny because they're all interconnected Mm -hmm. like they would be because they all reside in me
0: right Um, novel huh
1: Yes. <laughs> I find it funny because I, and I've heard this from lots of trans or non-binary autistic people, that it was once you get your head around your neurology, not necessarily that you're in a happy place with it, that you, you're you on top of the world and you feel like you know what you're doing or anything like that, but mm-hmm. even just having a name to it,
0: mm-hmm. being
1: autistic, being ADHD, having learning disabilities, whatever it is. Sure that gives you space to be more introspective.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So after my autism diagnosis, and my OCD diagnosis, there was like, right, okay. And then I looked around in my brain and I thought, oh, God, there's all this other shit I've got. Oh, there it is. Yeah, that, all this stuff I've been soaring up over the years. So yeah, better have a look at that as well, I suppose. And that was kind of not sexuality because I've been, I've been pretty open and aware of, of how how my sexuality works Mm -hmm. but definitely gender and I think because just because there's so much more language around things accessible language about being trans or non-binary or agender or just gender divergent in general yeah that you can almost try things on for size
0: Mm -hmm. you know
1: and I can't actually remember your question now, so I'm hoping I'm actually answering I it.
0: You, I I, am, I think you are, Katie. I think you're, you're yes. hitting the target. And, and, you know, it makes me think because when we first got connected through our mutual friend, hello, mutual friend. You know really? who you are. When we got connected, one of the conversations we were getting into as well in terms of the greater LGBTQIA plus community Is well, trans is inclusive there. Trans is also different than a lot of what's happening in the GBQIA plus realm. And so, while there is certainly a need for advocacy, for celebration, for understanding, for pride in yourself, and that goes for all of us. I mean, hopefully, we can get to that place where we're able to embrace ourselves and go, "Hey." This is me, and I accept that. I mean, that's powerful when we can get to that place, and that's a journey for a lot of people. But sometimes the needs of the trans community get missed in the larger grouping of we're just this is the community, here's your month, here's your thing. Like, you know, this is when we'll celebrate you. But mm-hmm. you may not identify sexually and ha- face different. Microaggressions, different struggles, different biases as a trans person. And so it's, it becomes challenging because it's like, yeah, while there's some awareness being built, it's also not necessarily understanding. Kind of reminding hmm. me of what you said when you were like, I found out I was autistic, but then what? Like, what? Right. So it's like having that support. I was just curious if you had some thoughts that you could share on that, because while I'm glad that advocacy is improving, there's still a lot of biases, there's still a lot of discrimination, there's a lot of struggles that show up, and so I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, 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 definitely. I think even even when you said, oh, and you've got a month for that, and you've got a day for that, and everything else, and you think. The trans community, if there is one monolithic trans community, which there isn't, right, has like a trans awareness week, and then we have a trans day of visibility, just in case, just in case you weren't aware that we exist. Then <laughs> uh, then we have a trans day of mourning. So our three trans holidays, if you will, are mm. like we do exist. Please don't kill us. Like that's that's really rough going. Yeah. Um, you know, and for the greater kind of LGBTQIA plus community to have a Pride Month is gorgeous, but there are so many people who could be within that community that are completely and utterly gatekept by that. Black Indigenous people of color, absolutely, people who are considered not trans enough because we haven't gone through HRT or we haven't had surgeries or we've had some surgeries but not. Enough of the surgeries, whatever that might mean. Right. And, and, you know, and that's gatekeeping the usual people that are gatekept, which are people of color, kind of travelers, sex workers, people who just don't have the resources and access to things that other people do. Mm-hmm. And more privileged people absolutely do, or are too busy just trying to survive, let alone being able to. Find the resources and the ways to be able to thrive as well, mm-hmm. so yeah, so I think yeah it, there's a reason the letters are all kind of put together, but it doesn't mean that we all get on with each other
0: right. and
1: white white supremacy reigns supreme in LGBTq spaces, as does the patriarchy brilliant so there's there's a there's a certain hierarchy that despite the fact that we as queer people have gone against normativity, that we're still creating our own modes of normativity and gatekeeping each other from being queer.
0: Mm.
1: And I see that with quite a lot of trans people within trans communities, but also within the wider kind of queer community as well. And that's really rough going. That's really, really rough going. Especially when it's people who call themselves feminists, but absolutely are not, who are also lesbians and who are saying that being trans men is basically stealing away all of our butch lesbians is basically what, what is being said there, as opposed to just thinking, oh yeah, I'm, I'm really happy for these people because they're living their authentic lives.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. The intent is different than how it carries out. And as we've learned, we were talking before we started, you have a two-year-old. And so in helping a toddler understand cause and effect and the impact of their choices, we really congive with this premise that actions speak louder than words. And so it's <clears throat> not that words have no meaning, but if your actions don't back up your words, then where are we with that? And so it feels like, yeah, I mean, if we're saying you're embracing your authentic self and living your life, which is honestly within the OCD community, what we want to be able to do too. We want to have value-driven lives where it's not controlled by OCD, but it's based on, I'm going to do this with my values, even though I might feel distressed or even though I may have to do some work around some inferences of doubt that kind of lead me spiraling into Mm. my OCD. Mm -hmm. And so on one hand, It's it's an important message. But on the other hand, actions speak louder than words. So what you're speaking about, and I think we can all relate within different communities, certainly like for people of color, just having the experience of being in a minority group, you're going to have some common factors that are relatable to other people in other minority groups. But that doesn't mean your struggles are the same, let alone within your own community. Mm And I, I certainly you can have within cultures too, based on how Westernized you are, based on skin color, mm-hmm. how dark or light you are, based on accent, based on facial features, and how traditional someone may present with different features. Like there can be a lot of that even within the communities. But mm. I think that's a really good point because I don't know that people outside the LGBTQIA plus community sometimes understand that still, just like outside the community, we still got problems. We get into fights with each other. We, we deal with crap, right? Like that mm. there's still some tensions that can rise even within that community. But sometimes the messaging is like, oh, but you know what? Like, we're just going to do you over here and, you know, good, good for you. And it's like, no, actually, we still all need to be human, supporting mm. humans in or mm. out of the community. You're regardless mm. of neurotype, skin color, gender, sexuality, sexual orientation, religion. I mean, there's just there there are so many aspects to that. So I think that's a really important point for people to understand. And it's not to say that's the way it is across the board. It's rarely OCD loves some nice black and white thinking where we can just make some broad statements. But it's not to say people aren't getting along in the community, but there is still a mm. lot of tension and you're. Mm. Your sharing really hit me on, hey, we're still here. Please don't kill us. Like, that is not Mm. the same experience that every person has waking up in the morning, you know? Mm. And it's important to understand, like, how did we get here? And how can we get to the next point in helping people be able to wake up with a sense of safety that they don't have to hide who they are just to be accepted just to belong. And so that's really hard because I think there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of confusion across all these different areas where we have intersectionality. And that's why it's important to have the conversation. I by no Mm. means have all the answers and I'm gonna screw up and I'll put my foot in my mouth sometimes, metaphorically, because I am not flexible at all. So (laughs) I can barely touch my Mm. toes. But I can I'm I'm not always gonna say it right, but I am gonna risk Saying it wrong and having somebody come back and say, actually, let's learn together about this so Mm. that we can grow, so that we can have a sense of belonging. We don't all have to agree with each other. We don't have to have the same politics. We don't have to have the same skin color, any of that. To be able to be respectful to one another and help people know like you're of value because you're you. And you're you Mm. because of all these intersection points and more.
1: Mm. I think it was interesting what you were saying about words and assigning values and meanings to words, because I find that for me the word ally in in whatever people are suggesting they're an ally or is very much a verb. Uh, It's very much not something you can put on yourself, anyways. Um, That needs to be something that's chosen by the community by which you think you are an ally mm-hmm. but also it's done by actions and it's not just something you can put on yourself and oh well you know we put a rainbow flag up on pride month in our office i mean what do you do right and i find that that is the same with mental health mm-hmm. and definitely with ocd people want to support you until things go really really wrong and f- actually i find that with being autistic and adhd as well they don't mind the quirky or The funny or the slightly, I I say weird in a nice way because I always use the word weird in a nice way, Mm -hmm. weird behaviors or unique ways of being. Mm -hmm. They don't mind that until something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. And then the ideas of being a burden or having to hide yourself away in your own safe spaces or big reason why a lot of OCD folk Also have agoraphobia, or you know, feel like they can't leave their homes because it's not just the the fear of what if it's like a germ based kind of contamination OCD. Then obviously that's a fear, but then if you add further marginalization on top of that, on what people expect people to look like when they're going about their business in the world, and you don't fit into that, yeah, then that becomes like a real issue of safety. Especially if you're a person of color, or you're visibly disabled, or you're visibly trans, or you know, all these other things, it becomes it becomes really dangerous to be yourself outside your own house. Um, yeah. So yeah, so so I think the word ally is all very well and good, and support is all very well and good, but I think if you you, you got to take the rough and smooth, really.
0: Yeah. Oh. And actions speak louder than words. You got to do the things that you're saying are important. You got to be the change, not talk about the change. Be the change. Participate in that. And so I think that is really, really important. And OCD is certainly a very isolating disorder. It imprisons you in these different spaces. And then some of these intersections are also very isolating and not... Mm. Not in necessarily the same ways, but in in familiar ways to OCD in terms of that fear of what's possible and what could happen. And it's, you know, I don't know if much about ICBT, inference-based CBT. It's a, a more popularized treatment outside of the U.S., but it's really gaining traction here in the U.S. in addition to exposure and response prevention, which is typically touted as a gold standard at least here in the u.s Mm. and something that i really appreciate about icbt is it talks about how absorbing the nature of ocd obsessions can be getting getting and and the verb the act of it (laughs) the actual act of Mm. doubting and how absorbing that is but also Part of the practice in ICBT is sorting out what is relevant, doubt, what's relevant evidence in my common sense here and now reality and what's mm. not. And if we're looking at some of the risks that different communities are facing, it's relevant mm. to go, well, I'm, I'm a little afraid about that. Now, OCD can take that. Oh, yeah, I see you're a little afraid and I up it (laughs) a thousand percent. But it's important and it's really important to validate like, hey, I'm not just coming up with shit here. Like this is happening and it's happened and I'm grieving. And so holding that and... Trying to keep that here in the present without OCD running amok with it. I mean, that's really, really mm. challenging. And so, yeah, I mean, I I appreciate the validating aspect of that because you're right. There are different threats of harm and different difficulties. And certainly with people of color, certain religious, especially in certain parts of the world, like certain religious affiliations Mm. can have you persecuted right away and we don't always think about religion paired in that same grouping with people of color with sexuality and all of that because it's like are you gonna die if you go out well depending on where you are in the world
1: yeah absolutely
0: yeah it's not always it's not always the same thing but also honoring like if i'm living to my authentic self and i subscribe to a certain religion if i i'm non-binary if i'm a person of color or if i'm indigenous and i you know how do i get to just live and be my authentic self without having to constantly be in protective mode and then know where that line ends for going into obsessional doubt or the ocd running amok with a spiral Mm -hmm. so it, it can be a lot and to that mm. point with OCD so when you got that it sounds like especially with mental health you said because with autism you can go okay yeah there's an autistic community if I have the energy to get yeah. in do the research and find this and bling myself out there which is hard for anybody anyway okay. but in addition to that with OCD did you also feel like okay I got the diagnosis. now what like there wasn't a lot of support or linkage from NHS to be able to get treatment or did you feel like you were able to get paired with therapy? How did that work for you?
1: I have not had any support with OCD whatsoever for the three years I've been diagnosed now and by the at least fifteen or twenty years I've actually lived with it. The only thing that they do through the NHS is Cbt mm-hmm. uh <laughs> which from personal experience and from, from a certain amount of research just doesn't really work with neurodivergent minds. Like it's it doesn't fit with an autistic. It's very much based on neuronormativity, mm-hmm. which everything is because that's all these people can come up with. And that was something I was in that was to do with my depression. I'm trying to think of the timeline now. That was quite a while before that. mm mm-hmm. But because I have been through this, this process, it's a one shot thing, right? If if you've done that now, you've done your uh, nine months of CBT or whatever it was. And yeah, you're not going to be able to do that again. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so what else is there? Well, we can do medication.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. And that that's not a bash on medication, by the way, as a person who takes quite a few medications, that's not a bash on medication. Sure, it's but just not the fix-all.
0: It's not the fix Yeah, all.
1: and also people don't get the choice. Like, so we can offer you this medication. Okay, what else can you offer me? No, that's, you know.
0: That's it.
1: That's it. That's it. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, where do people land with that? And then trawling through, and with being trans as well, trawling mm-hmm. through information to find trans affirming stuff is difficult Mm -hmm. trawling through stuff to find autistic affirming stuff is really difficult but it exists if you have the energy if you have the resources if you know where you're looking it exists Mm -hmm. not that i think the ocd should be affirmed so much but it would be nice if it wasn't all considered doom and gloom
0: Right, which um, is anxieties can't get anyway, too. For God, you were saying for generalized anxiety, it's like, oh, mm. it's the doom and gloom disorder. Like, literally, doom and gloom. Yeah, Impending feelings of doom and gloom.
1: <laughs> yeah. It would be nice if mental health affirming, because people throw around the word neurodivergence all the time. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, a lot of people get really funny about the fact that mental health exists within that umbrella, which it most, it most certainly does. And it's weird how some people will quite happily have the, not label, but I'll use the word label. It's not necessarily the word I'm going for, but we'll have the label of being autistic. Mm -hmm. I don't mind that, but I don't know if it's because I think that people think that neurodivergence and neurodiversity and neuroaffirming stuff is always positive.
0: Right.
1: I think there's a kind of misconception about that, Mm -hmm. whereas actually affirmation is just the fact that you are there you're valid we see you now what can we do with that knowledge with that acknowledgement right and I feel like people either don't think that that happens with mental health which I've got to say I agree with Mm -hmm. or that they feel like mental health differences shouldn't be allowed to be
0: affirmed
1: Mm. and I think that's because there's this idea that Mental health differences definitely follow the medical model of disability. Mm -hmm. So the mental health is your problem. It is something within you that certainly as a person with OCD is shameful, is wrong, is potentially violent, potentially this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. And then that mixed with the stigma of, I always think of Monica from Friends, who was very particular about how she wanted things and was very much, I don't know if she was ever... Spoken about being OCD, but it was very much in that area of what people believe OCD to be.
0: That's true. Um, That's what people's perception is that it mm, would look like. That's a really mm. good point.
1: So with so with that stigma, yeah, it's really hard to find some kind of inner peace Mm -hmm. if that's obtainable, anyways, Mm -hmm. because people don't talk about their experiences. Mm -hmm. So I've been married to my husband now. How oh, we've been together 10 years, coming up 10 years. Mm-hmm. My goodness, when I got my autism diagnosis, my poor husband did not. I was autism, autism, autistic, this thing, this thing, that thing, this person, what I've read. Blah, 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 blah. And I also did my postgraduate on being trans and non-binary and autistic as well. So it, yeah, he's had a lot over the last four or five years of me going on about autistic experiences. But there are things about OCD that I'm only just now telling him about. Mm -hmm. which, and he's the person who knows me better out of anyone Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and who I can share anything with. But I think, yeah, I I feel like there is some concern because a a lot of my OCD is about harm. Mm -hmm. So I think, and then if you mix that with past suicide ideation for me, Mm -hmm. bringing up things like that to my husband, let alone anybody else, might set off alarm bells in them. Right. Which don't necessarily need to be set up,
0: right,
1: so there's a certain thing with me. this is going to be quite graphic so if you don't want to listen to it, that's give me a minute because it's going to be a bit graphic. I have and have always had issues with cheese graters because the compulsion to run that up and down my arms is really, really strong mm-hmm. and then add in kind of a weird sensory thing that I have going on with being autistic is that I can then not feel that sensation on my arm, of course, but I start feeling strange sensations in my arms. Mm-hmm. So as I'm thinking it, as the object is there, my arms feel straight. It's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. So so my husband has been thinking, they don't wash up cleaning up the knives, the sharpened knives we've got, steak knives, things like that. It's just stuff that I won't wash up. Even actually, just even the thought of a cheese grater is make my arm feel funny.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So. But when you say that out loud to people who aren't OCD or have an experience of OCD, Mm -hmm. you sound completely and utterly off this planet. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you talking about? Why would you think that? Like, oh, maybe you should just, you know, well, have just got to get on with it, haven't you? Or maybe you should just stop thinking about that. Well, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Why, I hadn't thought that. Like, I hadn't thought, this is actually really distressing to me. I'd prefer to be able to do the washing up without, Thinking about hurting myself, so
0: yeah, So yeah. yeah. I guess I'll just give that up. Yeah, well,
1: yeah. If, so if, oh, if, if that was that easy,
0: it would be resolved already, right? Yeah,
1: no one would have OCD because we just wouldn't think about these things. Katie, it would be lovely. You,
0: let me tell you, you are with your people here because we're we all hear cheese grater, and I was like, okay, bring it on. And I don't even, and I'm not trying to minimize it. I don't even think of it as graphic. It is so relatable. To mm, mm. people listening where they're like, I, I hear you.
1: <laughs> mm.
0: They they are just like me. I I get it. Like, yeah, yeah. Th- you're not alone in that. But you're right. Mm. The, the fear, the shame, the am I going to be locked up? Are people mm-hmm. going to think I'm not safe mm-hmm. to be around my child? Mm-hmm. If I could do this to myself, like all of yeah. that piles on. And then you add some mm. of these other intersections and you go, well, will I be given the benefit of the doubt? Will I be intact? Mm, mm, Will absolutely. I be safe? So yeah, I mean it's it's really really hard
1: because with COVID nineteen, you know, autistic people were put on a rather lovely list of DNRS, do not resuscitate.
0: Wow!
1: Like if if really? yeah if you have yeah if you have complications with COVID and
0: that was in england that was in the uk yeah that's-
1: it's still it's still it's still going on yeah absolutely mm-hmm. so when you can think that's how the government and society values treats you. autistic people mm-hmm. yeah and values yeah yeah and dehumanizes you and says actually if you died i mean like who really cares right. you know you really right. miss that much i mean you don't add anything to society or whatever oh. then you add Do I have someone to talk to about the fact that I'm having these thoughts, and then what they're going to do with them? Then you add the fact that autistic and disabled people are more likely to have their children taken off them from social services. Then it all just becomes this great bit. And I work with kids as well, you know.
0: Right, you're a youth leader. Yeah, yeah. So,
1: and would people think that I'm? a to children which i absolutely am not um
0: right the thought of it nice. is so distressing that even the thought of it is so hard but but you're right there is a lack of understanding and because people are thinking monica and friends has that's ocd where mm. people like to color oh, and that's crap. cute. and it's just like yep. oh fun have crumbs on the bed <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i know there are, there is an ad campaign going on right now so and i i want to say don't quote me on it Maybe I should look it up before we get up. But NoCD, which is an app and it provides therapy here in the U.S., but also is international, has been doing an amazing campaign lately about some of that misinformation because they will start off the ad with, a lot of people think you're OCD. And so I color coordinate my kids' onesies or something to that effect. And they're like, actually, I'm afraid I might snap their neck. I might hurt them. That's what OCD mm. is. Mm. And that's uh. a powerful punch when you put that mm. juxtaposition. But it's also extremely normalizing for people that have ever had those thoughts. And one of the mm. things we talk a lot here on the podcast and what we talk about in the treatment community of OCD is are these thoughts egosyntonic, in sync? I always think of the, mm-hmm. the band. <laughs> OK, <laughs> um, so are they in sync? <laughs> Meaning I, I like it. It's in sync with my values and what I want. Or is it mm. ego Is it as distant as hell from what I would ever want to do? And that's why it's mm. so disturbing and so disruptive. Mm. If you don't like crumbs on the bed, fair. Mm. You don't have to like crumbs on the bed. That's fair. That's different than thinking crumbs are on the bed and someone I love might get hurt. Like mm. it doesn't have to be a logical mm. connection, but sometimes it's a very logical mm. connection mm. when it comes to OCD. And so it's like, in some ways, I know that crumbs isn't going to kill somebody. And yet, what if it does? And I was negligent and I didn't follow up on that.
1: Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And so the
0: stakes are high. And the value is so high. The consequence of if this thing that possibly could happen or did happen or Mm -hmm. might have happened, and I just don't remember it happening, Mm -hmm. if it happened, it's so high. Not only mm. will people maybe not understand, but like you're saying, like, if I'm already not being appreciated just for having the brain I have, which is not that different than having people go, hey, you have this eye color. You have no meaning. What? That is mm. no meaning. That has no relationship on your value. And yet it's such a core part of who you are mm. that it feels so. It's so condescending. It feels so dismissive. Dehumanizing is a word Mm. that you use. And I I agree with that. And so that's a real problem. But yeah, I mean, if it's egocentric that you want to hurt children, I think we probably should be concerned, right? Like, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go bowling for children. Let's wait till the school bell rings and be able to take the car for a ride. No. This is the opposite. I am so terrified. Mm. I won't even go near the school or whatever the thing is, right? Mm, mm, Because mm. it's so scary. I might not even leave my house. Like you said, you can look like agoraphobia or anything else. Like it's, there's a lot of layers to it.
1: I think that's where the extra layer of difficulty comes with being autistic. Especially if you're, I don't know if especially you're late diagnosed, but I can only see it from that perspective because that's where I'm from. But Sure. Because you are consistently gaslit, mm-hmm. it's not too loud in here. It's not too cold. You had that dinner yesterday. Why can't you eat that now? Oh, why can't you be like your brother? He always does XYZ and all of these things and they pile up and they pile up and they pile up. And it it makes you have to reevaluate everything you think about, everything you say, everything you do. Then, if you add something that a lot of autistic people struggle with, I certainly do, alexithymia to that mix, where it's a difficulty in understanding our emotions, Mm. being able to label our emotions, being able to communicate that to other people. So you're being told that everything you think and feel is incorrect. Mm. Alexithymia is telling you what the hell is going on in your brain, anyways. Then you add in OCD. So being able to pick apart what is a value of yours and what is completely against your values becomes so much more difficult. Yes. Because you've been told for however many years that you're wrong, you're incorrect. Why are you saying that? Why are you doing this? Why can't you just be quiet? Why can't you just do this? Then you've got your emotions and you have no idea what's going on with that. Then add in compulsions, intrusive thoughts, kind of perhaps paranoia that can come with OCD. And it becomes a shit show. Like, it's so hard to unpick from each other. Yeah. And I think what you were saying about the stakes being high, well, with OCD, the stakes can be high all of the time anyways. Yeah. And being autistic, the stakes can be high all the time. And being trans, the stakes can be high all the time. And it's exhausting. It is. It's, It's really, really exhausting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Really great points. And there's only so much our nervous system. Can take, mm. and mm. yet life goes on, and your kid's gonna wake up, and you're gonna have to do the things and get out mm-hmm. of bed, and it's it is it's so hard. So I think that it really is a great point, and it circles back to what we were talking about before: an autistic anxious adult. Yeah, I mean, at this point, what kind of messaging have you been given that has really delegitimized mm. the way you're processing the world? And it's almost, I've equated it in trying to help people understand sometimes, and I could be getting this wrong, but one thing that I find helpful, I tend to think in analogies, is like here in the States, if we're growing up and the primary language is English and you only speak Spanish, then you're going to be most comfortable speaking in Spanish. And while you can learn and adapt to English, it's never going to be your first language. And you're Mm. always going to be filtering information in and having to run it through these filters to come back out to be able to participate, to engage, because English is what we speak here. And similarly, folks, you know, we look at there's a range of different things that can impact because autism is so vast, just like neurotypical brains are so vast. No one has the same brain. And we tend to go, oh, but it's a spectrum. I'm like, it's all a spectrum, people. Like, just whatever brain you have, no brain is going to be exactly like the next brain. But we really like to stick to the spectrum talk, right? And so if we think, like, adapting is hard and change is hard and you should be reacting like this, but you're literally having to work double time to Mm. understand it through your brain and then filter it through what will be okay enough for this setting, that's a lot. And in terms of, it's not a bad thing to be bilingual, but a lot of times people have some choice in the matter. Do I want to choose to go into this other language? Mm-hmm. For autistic folks, this is the language we speak.
1: Mm. Yeah. Get with the program will get out, really.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it's certainly... It's, it's a huge challenge. And what's, I don't know, I, this is anecdotal, so I could be wrong, but I feel like at this point, the neurotypical NT world is less typical than neurodivergent ways of processing, which obviously can be multiple neurodivergence. It could be a singular neurodivergence. But it's like, at this point, the NTs think they're cute. They're like, hey, this is the way the world works. And it's like, is it... I don't know. But yeah.
1: Yeah. So... Nick Walker writes about a lot of, she writes about a lot of autistic experiences and stuff. And she was one of the few people who came up with the idea of neuroqueer theory. Mm -hmm. And her views, and she she writes this so well, Mm -hmm. is about the fact that neurotypicality doesn't exist. There are just people and circumstances that make it easier for people to be able to be compliant. Mm -hmm. And that's what neuronormativity is. It's not, oh, well... John's neurotypical or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's that John has an easier time of performing neuronormativity. Right. And I think that's a brilliant way of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And I think as the world becomes just a complete dumpster fire with everything that's going on at the moment, if it feels the last four or five years have just been epically terrible.
0: It's been, um, rough, it's been a rough with COVID. With, yeah, there's been a lot of different things. Mm,
1: And like rising bigotry, rising gun crime, transphobia, like it's, I'm thinking mostly in in the US and the UK, but I have a feeling that it's probably more global than that. Added on to things that are going on in different countries anyways, of course, civil wars and all sorts.
0: Earthquakes, Um, all sorts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. So I just think because the world has got to a point where some of us are hyper self-aware of what's going on and yet are powerless to change things. Colonialization, all sorts of different things. I feel like more and more people are going to be neurodivergent. I feel like mental health differences will rise. I feel like in the UK, we had lockdowns for COVID-19 on and off for about two years. Yeah. And a lot of people were still going to work, but Quite a few people were home or were shielding. So I was home for quite a while because I work with vulnerable young people. So obviously they weren't going anywhere. And I think it gives people the chance to be introspective and to think about where they see themselves in the world, where they Mm. see the world anyways. Mm. And I think with that kind of opportunity, despite the awful, awful reason that we had that opportunity, has given people a lot of chance to really think about who they are and what they want from life, and you know, in the UK, we've certainly seen a rise in autism diagnosis and ADHD diagnosis, late diagnosis of kind of learning disability, whether that's specified or not. So there's fibromyalgia is also, I'd say, it, been on the rise. But you know, more people are
0: they're aware of it, help,
1: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And myalgic encephalitis, so chronic fatigue syndrome, all sorts of different things like that. Because people have been able to sit with themselves and their embodiment that they've had the opportunity now to think, you know, there's something, there's something going on here that I need to address. Right. So I think actually the amount of people who can perform neuronormativity is just shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. So it almost makes divergence, perhaps not quite the right word. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Right. Maybe it's, it is just normativity. This is just Mm. the range. This is just, yeah, it's interesting because in some ways it's like, why do we have to single? It feels isolating to single out in groups. In other ways, it feels really edifying to go, oh, now I understand why I think the way I'm thinking. And it's nice to have a sense of understanding even better when we can feel a sense of community around that. Mm. But we don't want to be marginalized. We don't want to be at risk for harm. We don't want to encounter violence because we fit in a grouping, Mm. part of who we are, but we're so many different things, you know? Mm. And so it's like, well, it can be edifying. It also gets weaponized sometimes in terms of, okay, okay, so you're here. Yeah. Well, this is what one person from this group once said, "Oh my gosh, don't get us started on the neurotypicals and what they've done in history because shit. Like, we got God. we could start a whole campaign there. That's not the point. The point mm. isn't to turn against each other, but it feels it feels so polarized. And I have a suspicion, and I could be wrong, that we are more connected and more alike than we are different. But some of that messaging gets reinforced, too. And Mm. it is based, experiences happen. So I'm not just saying this is out of thin air that we're drawing some of these conclusions. Violence is happening. Bad shit is happening. It's really important, whether it's even just anxiety, let alone understanding OCD or being able to say autistic, like we're very proud of our autistic family and they're very proud of Mm. like, yeah, Mm. when I ask my son, I have two autistic sons, my older son. What do you think one of your best qualities is? He says, my autistic brain, because I remember things that mm-hmm. my friends can't and all this stuff. And it's true. He's got a crazy memory. So mm-hmm. what, what, what would you say around that what one? What you say around him? <laughs> yes. Yeah. He'll be like, oh, remember back in 2018 when you said this? And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, I, but I've learned to be like, yeah, I probably did say that if you remember that, because you remember everything. But yeah, I mean, it's it's. Something that I love. And he could just say my brain. I love my brain. But he thinks of it as my autistic brain. Mm. Because he does have an autistic brain and it allows him to process the world in not the same way everybody else does. And we also talk about then in terms of self-advocacy and how to work within the systems we're a part of. Sometimes people aren't going to understand how Mm. our brain Mm. is processing. And so we might have to do this not because we're not good enough as who we are, but understanding the system. It doesn't always flex to include and understand more than one right or one wrong answer. And so when we think about that with OCD as well, that's like, oh yeah, there's one right answer, and you haven't done it yet. You got to keep doing it. You got to keep trying. Then it's like, oh. like it can really run amok. And so it it is it's certainly challenging. And it's not just because you're autistic doesn't mean you're all good. It doesn't mean you're all bad. It just means this is the way you process the world. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I have brown eyes. Sometimes they're green. They tend to change back and forth. Does that mean anything about how good or bad I am as a person? No. Mm -hmm. It's just part of how my body works, how I function, how I process, how things happen, you know, and. I find that language really, really matters Mm -hmm. because, well, we can feel like a sense of belonging. And that's what I think essentially when we're like, okay, apples Mm -hmm. or oranges, it's all fruit. Right. But if you're like, but I'm an apple and it's nice to see some other apples. And no, I'm not one apple with all oranges. Yes, we're all fruit. Mm -hmm. But it's but that language, that grouping, that sense of identity can and does matter. Mm. And sometimes we get Mm. over the top in terms of, oh, we need to really mix this up because we don't want to seem like we're picking one side over the other. And it's like, well, good. It's important to not pick sides, but we can also have a sense of belonging with community that relates to some of our struggles. And I mean, our struggles are going to be the same. But yeah. And so it it gets tricky then for people to understand because, well, you know, you want to be a group or you don't want to be a group. And I'm like, if we're kind of stuck on why group it this way or why group it that way, we're kind of missing the picture.
1: We want mm.
0: to belong.
1: And and the thing is, whether someone is labeled or not, whether they're considered as part of a community, whether they identify that way, it doesn't matter because the oppression is still coming their way. Mm -hmm. You know, it it doesn't – so autistic people tend to have higher – experience higher rates of abusive relationships. Drug and alcohol use, substance use. And that doesn't change whether we know we're autistic or not. Bullying doesn't change whether someone knows we're autistic or not because people are just going to take the piss out of you anyways. And I had that at school way before I I was aware of what trans even meant, let alone that that was who I was. Mm -hmm. There was loads of bullying about the way I expressed myself, my embodiment, my stuff like that. So people don't need... Labels to be able to ostracize you, they're going to do that shit anyway. Right. Like, they're going to judge
0: you if they're going to judge you. And sometimes they might go, Oh, I think you're fill in the blank and judge you. And maybe you are filling the mm. blank, but that doesn't mean you deserve that. And sometimes you're like, I'm not even filling the blank. You just rushed mm. to a decision mm. and you're treating me like horseshit because of it. Not okay. Mm. Not mm. okay. Right. Like it's like either way, people are missing the other person. They're not connecting mm. with the person. Are they like me? Are they not? People are threatened by things they don't understand. There's a whole lot of shit people don't understand these days. Mm. And if we could realize, like, yeah, there's a lot of shit that's going on that we don't understand. We're in that together. Mm. We would mm. be stronger together if we could unify around that rather than pointing fingers, hurling insults, microaggressions, violence, because we mm. don't understand the difference.
1: mm I think that circles back to something you said right at the beginning of our talk was the fact that we're going to get things wrong sometimes. I, I definitely, definitely feel that with the trans aspect of my identity. Mm-hmm. I think people are so worried about this cancel culture. Cancel, cancel culture. culture. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, thank you. You know, and this woke brigade and the, uh, whatever uh, other nonsense they call it. They are so worried Mm -hmm. about getting it wrong, or actually, perhaps more appropriately, they're worried about what they perceive to be putting their privilege on the line.
0: Right. The consequence of not being on the right side of the argument could lead to loss of money. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So they would prefer to forget that autistic people exist, forget that people with OCD and other mental health conditions exist. And um, yeah, trans, but yeah, that's like a whole, yeah, like yeah. pronouns. Oh, horrifying. And people have been using pronouns like I, we, they, <laughs> you know, since <laughs> the dawn of time. Now everyone's like, we can't use pronouns anymore. Okay, you've used about eight different pronouns in that sentence that you've just told me, but that's, that's yeah. totally fine.
0: Yeah, but I, you're um, right. You can't do it, can you? Okay, all right. <laughs> you're okay. right. Yeah, so,
1: yeah. so, yeah, I think there's this real... I think people need to be able to be wrong but also for spaces to allow people to be wrong because I see this on autistic spaces all the time online and their groups that I've left because I cannot deal with the dot piling so when I got my diagnosis they do levels in the UK I don't know if they do in the US
0: they do but but they don't so it depends on where you go because when my kiddos I was like I'm curious of the level and they're like levels fluctuate they're not fixed things mm, and we absolutely. don't believe in levels because then people tend to isolate like the capabilities of someone to their yeah, level absolutely. but then yeah. you go somewhere else and they're like oh it's level two level one and, yeah, like, sure, yeah, yeah. and yeah, it's yeah. like okay but i like to think i mean the fact that i've experienced that with even my own son's diagnosis i did give levels because they're like why what's a level even yeah, what what's, what's even high-functioning and low-functioning, which people don't mm. get? They're like, oh, but they're high-functioning. Oh, does that mean they're, you think they're good enough because they're capable of raising their hand or getting through the school day? like
1: Yeah, or making money or paradoxes. What does paradoxes that even or, mean, yeah. that they're
0: not in diapers at 16, so they're high-functioning? Like, are we limiting mm. their possibility? And what about the people who are in diapers at 16? Yeah, they still that's, have worth. Yeah. They still have like, yeah, absolutely. That's I could get on yeah. a little diatribe about that, but yeah. you were saying, so I didn't want to like lose your point because I I could.
1: Yeah, I said about in this online autistic group, and I said about oh, I got my diagnosis today, level one, and the joke was, oh, I've leveled up, right? So that's it. That that was all my post was mm-hmm. in a fully autistic group online, mm-hmm. and. People went absolutely batshit that I had even dared to talk about levels or functioning labels. And we don't use that in this group. We don't do that in this group. And I just thought, well, first of all, you don't know where I'm coming from. Right. Like, you have no idea being made. Yeah. of the background of, of where I am coming from. Right. Also, when someone gets diagnosis of being autistic, for me, that's like, Congrats. Welcome. Hello. Welcome to the group. Like, what do you need? What can we do? What's happening? Not, well, uh, you might be part of our group, but you're doing it all wrong.
0: Well, thanks. I haven't been gaslit
1: enough. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we Mm -hmm. have a go at what people call neurotypical, but I like to call neuronormative. We have a go at people doing that to us all of the time, but we're allowed to do that to each other. And then all of this infighting. Yeah. Just, it doesn't get us anywhere because because
0: then you can't have a conversation you yeah and have you feel to... like you have
1: to watch what you say I right, already do that in everyday life anyway. Right. i don't want that in autistic spaces yeah so when people come onto my page and they might use autistic spectrum disorder or even every so often asperger's and stuff like that i will gently educate people Mm-hmm. But I don't. I have no idea where you're coming from, mm-hmm. what your knowledge is, what your sensitivities are, whatever. So for me to go, oh my goodness, I can't believe that you're using this language, and oh, it's disgusting for the following reasons. Is is really for me? I I think an, another very white centered English speaking, most definitely Eurocentric idea of how we should be using language to talk about our own personal experiences. Even though the autistic communities also like to talk about nothing about us without us, right. but as long as you're using the right language or as long as you're using mouth words or as long as you're, and again, like I was saying about the queer community, there becomes a hierarchy within. Them. Sure. Which when we already don't fit into neuronormative society, that we're then creating the same bullshit in our community and it makes no sense. We could, we, you know, we started from scratch. We could make our community within the realms of, like, actual possibility into anything. We could have any rules or non-rules as we like. and we choose to have the exactly same stuff that is depressing us outside of our communities? Why Why would we choose to do that?
0: Yeah, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of what I am hearing, and also I I feel this too, is there's a little bit of hypocrisy in the sense of, We don't want other people treating us like this, but we do treat other people Mm, (laughs) even mm. within our own group. And this, we don't even have to necessarily take any particular community. We can take the family. Oh, (laughs) I'm Mm. a marriage and family therapist. If if all it was, even if we were like not faced by these differences at all, but we all just came from a family, we would have these difficulties because it's like mm. you, you shouldn't say this about me. But the things I said to my mom or the mm-hmm. things we don't say and how we communicate or don't really creates more distance and barriers within us. And so it's, it's really challenging, but it's why one of the conclusions I've been coming to time and again, and this is a great point because this is the OCD family community. And so we're a community of family of support, even if we have lived experience, is going, how can we have some conversations? I'm not asking if you agree or disagree with use of pronouns. I'm saying, can you respect me and see me? And I'm not trying to diminish Because it might be like, but this really matters to me. Okay, that's fine that it really matters to you. And you really matter to me. How can Mm. we communicate? We may not agree on everything. And it might hurt us where we don't agree. But also, when we're hurt and we shut down and we just draw battle lines, and you're either disgusting filth on this side or you're right over here with me, like, we're not achieving any progress at that. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. we can't have a conversation. We'll shut mm. that down, and now mm. we're not having a conversation. And you're right. Language gives us a lot of context. Maybe we have built a lot of pride and done a lot of work and really struggled to get to the point where I can say this. I can say weird, and it's a term of endearment. We don't have to explain. I'm going to say weird, and I don't mean it in a bad way. But it's like mm. we feel like we have to preface it because we anticipate people to go, oh, how could you? How could you say that?
1: No, oh, I've had people say that about weird and various other words that I've used. They're right. like, oh, I wouldn't put that with autistic experience. I'm talking about my autistic experience. That's the only autistic experience I can talk about.
0: Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look at if you. If I'm weird, then I'm weird. Look at you, know, that's you the... being an authority, and you get to you get to pick your words. And it's like, again, if we are getting stuck on the words, and while language matters, if we're getting just stuck on the words, then we're missing each other. Mm, absolutely. Right? And so we need to be able to do that. I know that we're close to time. I have a couple little notes I scribbled down when you were talking earlier, and I would be remiss if I didn't try to highlight them. <laughs> uh guys were So you were talking about earlier with CBT and the formulation or the functionality of CBT really being for neuronormative folks, neurotypical folks, mm. however we want to put that, and how that really doesn't consider the autistic brain. And I think that it is really important when we think about any kind of treatment, Mm. whether mental health treatment or just treatment from one human being to another, right, just how we Mm. treat each other, that we can accept that just because I have thoughts in my brain doesn't mean those are going to be the thoughts in your brain. Mm, and that's mm, part of mm. the beauty of us not i mean if the whole world was full of just me and my brain (laughs) let me tell you it's not all butterflies and rainbows and we wouldn't get a lot achieved because we'd be coming up with all the same ideas we would be Mm, missing mm. the point on all the same points and so part of what makes us better together is that not only do we have commonalities but we have differences that can help enrich growth and expand Mm. the way we think about things and stuff so cbt certainly can feel like a one-size-fits-all but i i think it was oh gosh i think it was dr eric storch i was doing a training for ocd he made this point during a connection just about therapists it wasn't about cbt per se but i think it applies here in this analogy as well he said you know Some people are like, I tried that before and it didn't consider me. It didn't help me. It wasn't for me. It didn't affirm me. It didn't even appreciate like how Mm. I process the world. Why would I do that again? And I think his response, and again, it was to therapy in the example, but he said, well, it's like dating, right? Like you might date somebody who's a real asshole. I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember if he said asshole. Mm. I'm saying asshole. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they may have been a real asshole. And we might go, ooh, dating sucks. Like, and dating can't mm-hmm. suck. It's, mm-hmm. it's so, dating has so much uncertainty. OCD hates uncertainty. So generally dating, it's difficult anyway. Mm-hmm. Add, add on anxiety or OCD or depression. Ooh, it's a party. But what, what I would say is, yeah, I believe that it sucks. And not all relationships are going to be great. But I don't think if someone is like, especially when it comes to OCD, that's highly individualized. The things I struggle Mm -hmm. with in my OCD are going to be different than the things you struggle with are going to be different than Mm -hmm. the next person. And some might be the same. We're like, oh, I found my cheese grater community because Mm -hmm. I get it, it, (laughs) Katie. Right. And so in terms of CBT, I think if you don't have somebody that is affirming and understanding of the uniqueness, and it shouldn't even be, are you autistic or not? It's like OCD is individualized no matter what, but also Mm. valuing the intersection points that affect your realities, that keep your stress on high alert, that reinforce some of that distressing feeling that you have and why you feel like there's going to be such big consequences if you dare speak out about it. Like if you're with the right, person, be it a treatment team or a treatment provider, similar to if you're dating, if you're with the right person, then it's right. You might've kissed some frogs along the way. That wasn't the right frog. (laughs) But CBT, what I will say is CBT, especially when we come to exposure and response prevention and inference-based CBT, absolutely somebody who actually knows what they're doing within OCG treatment it's worth a shot. And you might go through a bad relationship and you go, oh, and I get it, right? Like, oh, I don't want to date again. That was so bad. Okay. But I'm also still feeling so lonely and I'm feeling this is hard and I I, I don't want to be isolated. I don't want to be shamed. But what if this is part of me? Oh, uh, And going through that, well, maybe we could try dating again. And if you go out and you say, I'm meeting with the therapist and I really don't think they're even hearing me, let alone appreciating all of the factors that make this so hard and so vulnerable and so scary and sometimes unsafe. Yes. Well, then that wasn't the right person for you. And so it's not to say because OCD does love. I know I've gotten caught up in it before. It loves to go, OK, this is either all best. This is all good. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is like mm-hmm. not going to ever help or this will help. But well,
1: being autistic is quite similar. It's,
0: yes. It, I mean, autistic or not, it's like, yeah, you get burned, you learn, right? Mm. CBT is kind of about that in a lot of ways. You learn a response from this, right? So it's like, yeah, I mean, understandably, there's going to be reservations. But I just wanted to say, I think, and there are for ERP, if you go to iocdf.org, there are ERP treatment providers, certainly in the UK and all around the world. But also, if you go to ICBT.online, which is also an evidence based practice, has research and numbers to show the effect for a myriad of people, whether you're Autistic, you have ADHD, maybe sensory processing disorder, whether you're trans, bi, straight, gay, what, no matter what gender, agender, like it, it doesn't limit you from that hope. And it may feel very lonely. And I, I absolutely believe it is lonely right now. But I just wanted to put that little nugget of hope out there because I think, Katie, even if you had a shit experience and maybe NHS won't be able to link you with it. But I mean, there's a community for OCD and it's growing and it's going to grow even more because of you. Because we were able to have this conversation and the advocacy that you continue to do and what you're doing with young people and how you're investing in people. We won't always see the ripple effects here now. We might just feel like I'm treading water and barely breathing. Mm. But I, I have hope. I have hope for you. I have hope for me. I have hope for our world that as hard as it is, we are better together. And with treatment, the weight, the heaviness of all that distress will, won't evaporate. It can change the quality of life when you go, oh, I can breathe. I can finally Mm. breathe, right, from all this distress. So I just wanted to put that plug out there. Really, really appreciate you coming on. And thank you so much for sharing, especially when we think about some of the harm themes and past suicidal ideation. It's hard. It's so vulnerable. And again, Mm. your willingness to share your experience is going to help people go, I'm not alone. Holy cow. Mm. It's not just me. So thank you so much. I really appreciate the gift of you giving your story. And whether you know it or not, I feel like hope just expanded a bit.
1: Mm, I like that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> thank you
1: for having me. Thank you for giving me the opportunity because, like I say, like, I've done a lot of autistic-based advocacy and ADHD-based advocacy, but OCD and mental health advocacy is still new to me. So this is still, I'm coming on today to talk about OCD, but it's still something I'm figuring out. Despite yep. the fact that it's something I've lived with for a long time, I'm still trying to find out how I talk about it, how I understand it, how it manifests itself, how I embody OCD. know, yeah, it's, it's a lot to untangle.
0: It's a lot to untangle, but we're glad to be connected. You're part of the OCD fam now here in the OCD family community. <laughs> and certainly if you listen to any of the past episodes, there's lots of resources that I try to provide. Mm-hmm. For people, but also IOCDF has a great community. OCD UK is also mm-hmm. providing support. And again, it requires some initiation of the process. That is hard. That is really, mm-hmm. really hard. Mm-hmm. But sharing your story is really hard. And you did an awesome mm-hmm. job at it. So I mean, if we're talking about you being able to do hard things, you can do it. You can do it. And and whether you do it or not, know that you have a family. The OCD family, okay? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. We'll have to keep in touch. Absolutely. Oh, yes, please. Thank you for that. Oh, family. What powerful conversations we've been having here. And I'm so grateful to Katie for their time and to all of you. And, you know, I'm surprised and yet not. Like consistently throughout this series, we've been finding a pretty central theme that says, let's talk about this. We need to be able to talk to each other. And sometimes that's scary. But we can't have or even improve upon language or understanding if we can't talk to one another. And fam, you know, not having these conversations, that still communicates something too this isn't important. You don't matter. We don't care. Oh, I think a lot of people care. And in fact, I think a lot of people want to understand, but we're so afraid of being shamed or dehumanized. And so we stay quiet or we keep to ourselves or we never tell another soul. Because what if we hurt somebody the way others have hurt us? I mean, this is just the reality, y'all we are going to hurt each other's feelings, whether we want to or not, but staying silent, that hurts too. And much like Katie mentioned earlier, if we jump on people for not thinking or not articulating the same things in the same way that we do, instead of trying to help illuminate understanding, then yeah, makes sense why we're afraid of having these conversations. So my charge to you this week, fam, here during my intrusive thoughts segment, which is the application segment of my show, is to find at least one other person, a safe person, be it a family member, a best friend, a spouse, a therapist, and have a conversation. Maybe you are struggling with this idea of mental health. Maybe you're struggling with your own intersectionality or someone else's. How can we have these conversations from one human being to another? But not only that, fam. How can we then help create some accountability around not only talking about the work, but doing the work? And that's going to vary, and it's going to look different from person to person, even within your own person. It might look different depending on what's going on for you at that time. But at the risk of tripping over our own words, our own biases, how can we act on being better together? Who knows? But as for Katie and me, here's one idea. Katie, I'm going to follow up. and going to be like, hey, have you thought about dating? No pressure. I know you're married, but dating in the CBT realm. (laughs) Would we really be family if I wasn't on your back about that? Okay. I mean, come on. That's how family rolls, so. No, I will. I will. I can accept a boundary. But yeah, I think I think it might be some food for that. Okay? Okay. All right. Thank you again. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining me and our OCD family community. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please like and subscribe to the OCD family podcast wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Did you find this content helpful? Please consider leaving a review. The more people that know they're not alone, the better. For more information regarding today's podcast, please visit OCDFamilyPodcast.com and remember to join the email list while you're there. It will provide you with the most up-to-date information, resources, and the download on the family chatter. Oh yeah, nothing says family like Katie and me and our family tree. That's right. I went there and you can too at OCDFamilyPodcast.com.